How's everybody doing this morning? Are we good? Love worshipful music, and I just thank for the blessing. And uh, it was kind of funny. Uh, one of the things that Renee and I uh, did, we were we were eating lunch, and there was a, a couple in front of us, and we were. Turns out that the wife that was in front of us, she was a nurse, so they were kind of talking about nurse and stuff. And then this gentleman started talking about his daughter is in Las Vegas and how uh, surprisingly thriving uh, his, his daughter owned a Chick-fil-A. And he was telling us about how chick she owned the first Chick-fil-A in Nevada and how it was just um, amazing. It took off in their church. And he said, I tell you what, their church absolutely has the best worship that I have ever heard and you know we're just all in the story we're like wow really I said well I, I gotta tell you I said I think our worship at, at my church I said I don't boast a lot I don't brag a lot but I'm gonna say that our worship will probably beat it and he kind of looked at me like you know like you know and he almost, he said well I, I don't know well this gentleman and I can't recall his name but he knows Bobby and Holly and so as I'm telling him that, I said, yeah, I said, our, our worship leaders are Bobby and Holly. And he was like, uh, 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 uh. he was ready to argue with me. <laughs> he goes, well, you know what? I back up. He goes, you're probably right. And, but it was kind of funny yesterday just kind of hearing that story. But the point is, and what we ended up having a whole other conversation about, you know, the whole reason we come here, it's not necessarily music and it's not necessarily the sermon that we're doing it's to worship. And you know that if, if we believe what this Bible tells us, and, and I hope you do, because I do, everything that we do is supposed to somehow be a form of worship. So this week, my, my title for the sermon is, Who Do We Follow? And we're talking about being worshipful and and who do we follow? The passage of scripture that I'm going to read today, Jesus asked his disciples a simple question. Now, Jesus knew the answer to every question that he asked. This particular question that we're going to get to here in a second was to be thought-provoking. And he asked, who do people say that I am? So, and he goes on to talk about being a follower. So the question that I want us to think about as we're spending some time together today, who do we follow? Now, the fact that we're in church, whether you're here or, or you're listening to us online, the fact that I say, who do you follow? And we're in a church setting, of course, we're, we're going to start thinking about Jesus. So, well, I'm a Jesus follower. But if I was at a bus stop, and let's say we're at an amusement park, we're getting ready to go on a ride, and I say, Hey, who do you follow? Now, there's somebody in here that uh, today that I think might be a Steelers fan. I don't know if you've seen him. But honestly, if I'm being honest, if you were to come up to me and it's a Saturday, so who do you follow? I'd be like, Wake Forest. <laughs> because I'm a Wake Forest fan. But unfortunately, now they're doing great these last few years, but we've had, we've had a lot of years of, whoo, hadn't we, Mr. Van Hoy? It's been uh, not so good years. So you start getting into life, and we start talking about following other things. Now, there's all kinds of other things out there to follow, whether it's Facebook, you'd be a friend. Oh, I follow them. I'm friends with them on Facebook, Snapchat. And then Twitter, you're actually called a follower. 
If you like somebody, you click a button to follow, and now you're a follower, and you're following them. You're following their feed. I actually looked this morning before I walked in here. I have a Twitter account. I don't do much social media, but I have that simply because Winston-Salem Fire Department has one, and anytime they have a fire, they blast it out, and just in case I might catch that my boys are on a, a fire, I have a Twitter account simply for that reason. I have eight followers. Who knew? Now, I don't know how many is like a really good number, but eight poor souls are following me. And guess what? I've never posted anything or made a reaction to anything on Twitter. But it, it does kind of beg the question of, man, is this all a bigger part of a distraction to keep us, keep our eyes off of what we're actually supposed to be following, what we are designed to be following. Now, this exchange that we're going to read in our scripture today, a lot of you are going to recognize it, and, and I use parts of it in a lot of other messages, mainly because it's, it's focusing on the Apostle Peter, and I love the Apostle Peter. Because, you know, we have a saying in, in my family, uh, Langham luck. I mean, man, we could, the Langhams could go across a flat field that is just perfectly manicured and mowed, and if there's a gopher hole out there, one of us is going to step in it. I mean, there's one little bitty hole, the Langhams are going to find it. Well, that's kind of like Peter. Peter, bless his heart, when you read the scriptures, he would speak up when he didn't necessarily need to speak up. He was ready to fight when he didn't need to be ready to fight. And we just see Peter just kind of going in and out of sometimes saying things that he might not should have said. But we learned so much from Peter. So when we read our scripture today, because I was thinking a lot about Peter, I thought, all right, I'm going to ask you all to do this. I want you to imagine, put your imagination caps on a little bit, and I'm going to read this scripture, and I'm going to read it in its entirety. I want you to imagine that you're there. If you want to imagine that you're wearing the clothes, if you want, want to imagine that you're out in a, um, you know, antiquity where there's tents around or we're at the edge of Jerusalem, which they actually are, I want you to imagine that you're there. And imagine that you're maybe Andrew, one of the disciples that would have been in an inner circle. Maybe one of the Jameses. Maybe Mary. But I want you to imagine that you are actually hearing this exchange between Peter and Jesus and the words that Jesus has to teach us this morning. So I'm reading from Mark chapter 8. This is not the only place in the Gospels that we find this exchange. But I'm reading from Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 27 and going through 38. Now again, imagine that you're hearing this for the first time. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, and this is a, several of them, of them replying. One of you may have been replying. Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And we know that he's pointing Peter out. Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach 
them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed about three days and rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So we're in this circle we're following Jesus. We're following Jesus because we've either been told about him or he said, follow me. And now he's talking about he's going to be killed. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the, called the crowd together, and you as disciples would have gotten even closer. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world <clears throat> yet forfeit their soul. Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now this is the word of God and some of you may, if you're familiar, more familiar with Matthew's recount of the gospel. There's a little bit more exchange between Peter and Jesus. And that's one of the beautiful things about the gospels. And it's one of the things that makes it so believable. If any of you have ever had anything to do with investigations, they call it corroborating evidence. That two people has the same story and they have a recount of the same event, but it's just slightly different you can see that they heard something different than somebody else. So this same scripture is in Matthew 16. And let me pray for us. God, I thank you for this scripture. I thank, thank you for when you're so plain that there's no doubt what you're asking for us to do. I thank you for your early disciples giving us examples of how we are to be followers of you. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Now, there were so many times that they were walking with Jesus that I think that there were probably collective gasps from the crowd, especially his closest followers. You see, Jesus, they're, they're believing that this is the Messiah that they have been waiting for. This is the Messiah that's going to take over. They're going to be following a king but they expected it to be right then and there. And he's been performing miracles and he's been preaching about love. And now all of a sudden, he says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. You see, this was predicted in the, the scriptures, but I'm telling you, the people there were, wait a minute. Did, did he say be killed? Hold, hold on. 
We're following somebody who's saying that he's going to die. And then you see Peter. Peter was kind of the de facto leader of the group. And he was a little bit older than some is, is believed. And, and he, had, he had been a worker dude his whole life. And that's what we call working people in my family, worker dudes. Sorry. Anyway, he was a worker dude his whole life. And, and I can just imagine, Jesus, 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 Jesus. I mean, we, again, we know the end of the story. We know who Jesus is. He's, he is the son of God. He's the risen Savior, but he hadn't, that hasn't happened yet. Jesus, come on. Let, let's don't talk. You, you scared the other guys. Come on, let's don't talk about this whole death thing. You know he's pulling him to the side and going, we, we, we're expecting you to take over. Like, we're going to be your posse. When you take over, we're, we're going to be your boys that's with you. If you die... The leader's gone. And then there would have been another collective gasp when Jesus called you all in. Get behind me, Satan. I want you to think of the worst name you could call somebody. Now, some of you went a little farther than I wanted you to go. But think of the worst thing. You big, yellow-bellied, no-good, coward, whatever. Now, Mary, don't be hitting him. <laughs> you're, supposed to, you're supposed to nudge your husband, un, uh, you know, low where we can't see it. These were fighting words. Get behind me, Satan. I don't think there's anything else that Jesus could have said to call out Peter right there in that moment. And we've probably all been there. I've been there. I grew up in a very militaristic, and I say grew up because I started when I was 18, a very militaristic atmosphere, being a firefighter and answering in the higher ranks. And man, there's been some things said to me, and I've been so embarrassed. I wish I could just crawl underneath the chair. I think Peter felt all of those emotions, and probably some of his people, they were thinking the same thing that people was thinking. Get behind me, Satan. So you just imagine whatever it is. Get behind me, Duke fan. Get behind me, you Tar Heel. Supposed to be a little funny. Get behind me, you Democrat. Get behind me, you Republican. Gotta be careful. Have I hit a nerve yet? I bet I did. And I know on that day, Peter felt it to the core. I think, though, it gets to the question of all of those things that I've named and in and of themselves, none of them are bad. But it begs the question, who do we follow? Who do we put our faith in in this crazy world? The second thing I think they would have gasped at, gasped at, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, we can gloss over that. We, we know what happened at the cross. Even people who aren't Christ followers, they, they know that Jesus died on, on the cross. And a lot of non-Christ followers know that we believe that he rose from the dead. If we don't believe that, then our whole Christian faith means nothing. But they weren't there yet. For Jesus to say, take up your cross, the whole Roman world of that time knew what a cross meant. It was meant as a deterrent. It was meant to, man, I really want to steal that piece of candy, but 
I don't want to have to face the Roman rule. Or, man, I wish I could take out my buddy who I'm in business with, but if I do and I'm not justified, I'm going to be hanging from one of those crosses. They used to put these crosses along the road. So when you were walking along the road, you literally would see people who were crucified all to be a deterrent. You cross us, you break the, the law of Rome, this is what's going to happen to you. So all of a sudden, Jesus is saying that, hey, you need to take up your cross and follow me. In a few short sentences, he says, Peter, get behind me, Satan, and pick up your cross and follow me. I promise you, there were people that were there. They went, okay, I'm out. I mean, it's really cool. These making the blind see and, and the lame have, are walking, but man, he's talking about death by a cross. No, I'm, I'm, I'm out. People would have backed away from Jesus at this moment. And we know that some of his followers in that day did fall away. But we also know now that we're reading this some 2,000 years later, he's talking about what he is going to do for us. He is going to die on that cross so we don't have to. He's going to take all of that shame, all of the sins that we have already committed and are going to commit, and he's going to say, I got it. That's why he is going to that cross. But it comes with a requirement. It comes with us saying, yes, I'm a follower of you, Jesus. He's saying, pick up your cross and follow me. You know, they knew what the stakes meant when you say pick up the cross. And if you believe what this Bible says, it, it teaches us that Jesus is going to come back. And it also teaches us that those of us that are Christ followers, we're going to be raptured before that. Jesus is going to call us. Now, there is a second chance, and that's the seven years of tribulation, and, and that's a whole other sermon for another day, but whew, the odds are against you, those seven years of craziness here on this earth when the devil really has his way. I would argue that the stakes are higher today if Jesus was standing here telling us to take up our cross and follow him than they were then. Because we're some 2,000 years later. We're closer to the second coming of Christ. Now, I'm not a prophecy sayer, you know, repent today before Jesus comes, but it's real. Because we don't know when he's coming back. You know why we don't know? Because even Jesus himself said, the Son of Man doesn't even know. So we don't have to worry about when. We just have to be ready when it happens. So Jesus goes on, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You know, most people spend their whole life trying to achieve something, trying, trying to achieve a status. There's old Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, once we are taken care of and we have shelter and food, then we want to belong to a community. Then we want to have status in that community. He says everybody is built that way. 
there's just a sense of belonging. And for us in our world, it, most of the time it ties to our work. It ties to achieving something in our workplace. My dad was a smart man. He was a, um, the name just left me, a, uh, not a CAD draftsman, but a mechanical draftsman. And this is back in the days of, of, of when he actually drew and the rule and had the little big old table where he'd draw these things. And he worked for the telephone company for a number of years here at North State. And then he worked to work for Alma Desk Company. He said it was his dream job because he could design office systems and then he would actually go out and see them installed. He got to see the finishing work of his craft, if you will. Unfortunately, uh, those of you who probably know somebody once upon a time who worked for Alma Desk, they went out of business, they went bankrupt, and, and Dad was uh, a supervisor and he was given a, a list of names for the third week in a row to go tell them, I'm sorry, we no longer need you here at Alma Desk. He handed it back to him and said, I can't do this anymore. And he left. He said, just put me at the top of the list. I can't tell anybody else they don't have a job. Dad was always able, wherever he was at, to kind of rise to the top. Dad had, uh, we were just talking about bladder cancer. He had bladder cancer. And the first surgery that he went for, he, he just basically didn't wake up right. And we started another uh, four-year journey of a roller coaster ride with dad. They diagnosed him with post-operative delirium. And they say it was triggered from it. Rare form of dementia. In four years, we lost him. But in four years, this is a six-foot-two man who had always been at the top of his game that now we're having to take care of. And he, he was stronger than we could take care of. And we basically had to sell his house, use his life savings to to give him any sort of quality of life. Now, why do I tell you all this about me? When it was all said and done, and he passed away, I brought home a box, a little bit more than a shoe box. That's what it all amounted to. Everything that he had worked so hard to achieve, and nothing's wrong with working hard to achieve something. Nothing's wrong with trying to build a legacy and leaving it. But when it comes down to it for all of us in our family, did dad put his trust in Jesus? In all of his life, did he take up his cross and follow Jesus? So when I say, I think this question for us is, is, is even, has even higher stakes than, than it did for them 2,000 years ago. The ones that he was talking to, they all took up their cross and followed him. Have you chose to follow him because in the end of the day if we believe what this word tells us if we talk about eternity where are we going to spend eternity see that's what's so beautiful that's what's so beautiful about being a follower of Christ and believing what we believe that if we do put our faith in him and if you're hanging on the ballast did dad I believe dad did I believe I'm going to see my dad again and guess what? I don't think we're going to talk about Alma Desk or North State Telephone when we see each other again. We're going to talk about how awesome it is to be in the presence of the Lord. But when you think about eternity, and, and if I could draw a line from, from the end of the earth to the end of the earth that way, 
and basically stand in the middle of that humongous line, this is our life right here, that short. But we're here for the rest of eternity. And we get to be with each other again. And one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to get to participate in that if we've made that fundamental decision to put our faith in Christ. You know, there's just, I, I, I never would have believed it, and, I, and I've had a, a pastor tell me he'd done some work at a hospital being a, a chaplain. And he said one day, and, and I just didn't understand it at the time, he goes, man, there is nothing more beautiful than watching someone who's in Christ pass on. Like, what? I, I can't tell you how many people I've seen die in my life being a firefighter, a bunch. I don't want to count. But it got me thinking, and it got me, the more I grow in my faith, the more I agree with him. But there's no more horror if a loved one passes and they're not in Christ. That's tough. That's tough for me and my family because I know that there's some people out there, and I want to just go, what are you doing? Put your faith here. Pick up your cross and follow. See, it's not all a bed of roses when we talk about it. What do you mean pick up my cross and follow? And then we go back and go, look, Jesus makes it easy. All he wants you to do is believe in him. I think we put a lot of these man-made requirements on it and we build all these religions around and, and we make people feel uncomfortable walking through these doors. And I don't think Jesus meant for any of it to be that hard. He just wanted us to realize that nobody gets to the Father except through him. Now, Jesus is pretty clear here. This is about our soul. This is about where do we want our soul to reside for eternity. So I'm going to read you a quote that I heard this week. I had to go back and find it. And, and I was listening to a pastor named Lon Solomon. He's on the radio. And he was talking about Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the coach at the time was Coach Gruden. Now, he since went on to the, um, the Raiders, and right now he's unemployed. But this is what he said about a head coach. They had won the Super Bowl in 2003. He came from heaven and brought us to heaven. We were waiting for the right man, and the right man came. End quote. He's talking about a man. He, he's talking about a coach, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would go on to have a few more kind of roller coaster ride seasons. Um, they've won recently. But Joe Gruden, or John Gruden, the, the coach, and he's an on fire coach. And I, I'm not even going to get into it, but he's had his own roller coaster ride in life. And basically, he resigned from his job. My point about all this is. We get so wrapped up in stuff and things. If I was to read that, and I thought about doing this. He came from heaven and brought us to heaven. We were waiting for the right man, and the right man came. Where's that at in the scripture? Some of you might be going, wait a minute, I've heard that. There's only one right man that walked this earth. There's only one man that we need to put our faith in that walked this earth, and that's Jesus. 
Jesus is the only thing that we can 100% put our faith in and we know it's going to return a hundred thousand fold every time without question it's always been Jesus it always will be Jesus and it's only Jesus everything in this world is fleeting now again don't get me wrong I'm not Renee and I, we, we work hard, we save, we're putting our kids through college. In today's world, we think our kids need a college education. I'm not telling you just to, hey, let, let's just all just give away our possessions and, and just we're just going to put our faith in Jesus. No, he put us in this world. We have to live in this world. We have to navigate this world. But we've got to realize who are we following? Where are we putting our faith in? I don't care where you work. The people that work with you know that you're a follower of Jesus because you daily take up your cross and follow him. So, look, I'm a, had no idea you're going to be wearing your, your uh, Steeler shorts today. I am a football fan. You go into my closet, you're going to find a Redskins. Well, I don't know. I think Renee threw it away. Anyway, there's always been a Redskins jersey in there, and I'm a Carolina Panthers fan. And me and my wife had an argument because she canceled the ESPN package. This weekend we had this argument. So, again, there's nothing wrong with the stuff. What's wrong is when the stuff starts dominating our world. Because here's what Jesus ends with. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, in this, could he be saying this today? In this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. There's so much in this world that is trying to exclude God, exclude God. And we, as Christ followers, are the ones that are being made to be ashamed that we speak up and go, yeah, I follow Christ. No, be proud of it. I am not ashamed to tell you, even though society tells me that I can't talk about my God in school, but we're going to talk about everybody else's God in school. I am a follower of Christ. And don't be ashamed of it. Jesus says that if we are, he's going to be ashamed of us when it really counts. We have to live, we have to make money, and we have to navigate this world. But who do we put our faith in? So if you're standing at that bus stop, who do you follow? What would your response be? I hope. You'll be able to say, I am a follower of Christ. And you know what? He's a Wake Forest fan. Jesus got to be a Wake Forest fan. He always pulled for the underdog. I hope your answer is, I am a follower of Christ. Let me pray for us. Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for being gracious. We thank you for being loving. We thank you that even though you know that we're going to make mistakes, even though you know that we're going to stumble, you are always there. And God, if there's anybody listening today 
that has not let go, that has not put their faith in you. I pray that you give them that little extra nudge to know how important it is to be a Christ follower. God, we thank you for this gift. We thank you for making it so easy that all we have to do is acknowledge that you are Lord and we want to follow you. God, we thank you for this word. Pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Stand and sing with us. And Chris asked, where did you see God this week? And um, Bobby had a really busy week this week and didn't really connect with Chris about today's worship service. And I said, um, so, so what are we going to do? What, what songs are we going to do this week? And off the cuff, he says, well, let's close with what a beautiful name. This song sums up that sermon beautifully. So I saw God at work planting those seeds. And I'm not gonna, I promise I'm not going to preach. I'm probably making Chris really nervous and Bobby too. promise I'm not going to preach. But the message, who do you follow? And, and Chris said, you know, he makes it so easy. But if you're not a follower... It may not feel easy. And so if you, if you feel that tug, that nudge on your shoulder, and you're thinking, I want to be a follower, but I don't know how, either make your way down the aisle during this song and talk to Chris, or after the service, just say, can you tell me how? Because I don't know. And you will find that it's easy. So we're going to sing this song, and I want you to sing it with all the worship that you have in your heart. You are the word in the beginning, one with God the Lord most high. Your hidden glory now revealed in you are Christ what a wonderful name it is what a beautiful name it is the name of Jesus Christ my King what a beautiful name it is nothing compares to this what a beautiful name it is, a name of Jesus. You didn't want heaven without us, so Jesus, you sin was great, your love was greater. What could separate us now? What a wonderful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a wonderful Nothing compares to this. 
Death could not hold you, veil tore before you, silence the boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring, the praise of your glory, your raise to life again. You Yours is the glory, yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is, what a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ my King. What a powerful name it is, nothing can stand against what a powerful name it is the name of Jesus what a powerful name it is the name of Jesus what a powerful name it is the name of Jesus song tells us you have no rival you have no equal that's what following Jesus means we follow someone who has no rival who has no equal and it's Jesus and it always has been Jesus and I looked so hard for a video clip and I just couldn't find it that I wanted to share with you and it shows all of these people at all of these different events and even dances for different things and everybody's getting pumped up and then it shows a church service and everybody was just sitting there quietly Jesus is who we need to be jumping up and down for and it tells us in the word that when one person turns back to Jesus that there's a party in heaven I think that when we get there, it's going to be like at make Tennessee Stadium and LSU Stadium and combine them all. And everybody's going to be jumping up and down when we get to be part of that party because we're a follower of Jesus. I think it's going to be beautiful one day. So who do we follow? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Hope you have a wonderful week. And I hope your team wins unless they're playing mine. Amen. <laughs>